And welcome on in to the Zach Gelb Show right here on CBS Sports Radio. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach on this Thursday. Welcome. Appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday right here. Where else? But CBS Sports Radio. All right, let's start today's show with a little college football. No, we're not talking realignment. No one else is leaving conferences. We don't have any more now. Cal and Stanford jump into the ACC or the Big 12 absorbing two more formerly known as the Pac-12 schools. We have no realignment, which is good when we're talking about college football, at least for right now. But I do want to discuss a point that was made earlier this week on the Paul Feinbaum show by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. Because he did mention the fact that with all this conference realignment, the SEC going to 16, the Big Ten going to 18 teams, the Pac-12 unfortunately being wiped out right in front of our faces, he said we have to revisit college football playoff expansion. Or, excuse me, revisit college football playoff expansion. Expansion. Not realignment, expansion. And look, you could talk about college football playoff expansion, uh, reformatting it and changing it. But here's what's non-negotiable. 12 teams need to be included in the college football playoff starting next year. Non-negotiable. Can't move off that number. 12 has got to be the number next year. You can revisit the format. You want to take away the the Pac-12 because they're not even existing anymore, but they're what should be an automatic qualifier into the college football playoff expansion next year. Fine. We could revisit the format and redo how teams get into the college football playoff next year in 2024 when it expands. No problem whatsoever. I'm only used to listen. But we can't do, we absolutely cannot do, is change the number of teams. It has to stay at 12. Because now more than ever, with all this conference realignment going on, we need expansion and we need 12 teams more than ever in college football for really two reasons. Number one, you got to give teams a fair chance of competing for a national title. And number two, 12 teams helps to promote parity. And we start with that first point in terms of giving teams a, a realistic chance of winning a championship. Look at what these conferences are going to look like in 2024 and beyond. The Big Ten in absorbing USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington next year are going to be an 18-team league. 18-team league playing nine conference games. The SEC, and taking on Texas and Oklahoma, is going to be a 16-team conference. They're playing eight conference games, meaning both in the Big Ten and in the SEC, you have both of those conferences playing at best Half the teams in your own conference. So when you are not even being able to be in a conference and legitimately win that conference because you're not playing everybody, how can you truly then expect to get a a fair shake to get into the college football playoff um, when it's only four teams? Like, you look at going forward, Ohio State, right? We presume them to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten each and every year. They're not playing USC every year. And USA with Lincoln Riley and all his quarterback recruits, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with each and every year. Ohio State-USC is not on the schedule every single year. Michigan and Penn State, not playing each and every year. Oregon and USC, two teams that are, you know, have been and will be viable title contenders, bare minimum playoff contenders, not on the schedule each and every year. So when the elites and the greats of the conference are not even playing each other, and maybe not get a chance at all to play each other, how can we truly just pick four teams 
when there's so many great teams out there that don't have a realistic chance of making the college football playoff. Here's what I mean. I could easily see a situation. If we remain at four teams going beyond, where you have 11-1 Ohio State, 11-1 USC, 11-1 Michigan. Three teams have great resumes. Only two, as we know, can make the Big Ten title game. And that third one, sitting at 11-1, has no real chance of breaking it at four. How is that fair? How is that realistic? Why would anyone want that? How is that good for the sport? The answer is it's not. When you have these two mega conferences expanding and now becoming massive, you need to expand in order to give these teams legitimate and realistic chances of making the college football playoff. The last thing I think anyone wants in this sport, and it's been a lot of chaos, and it's been a lot of, at times, frustration with how things are handled. But I think the last thing anybody wants to add on to that is having a tiebreaker determine if you are going to the college football playoff or not. When it's a four-team college football playoff, that's the reality. When you're talking about a top-heavy conference in the SEC and the Big Ten, where some of the great schools won't even play each other, won't even get a true chance, depending on how the tiebreakers work out, to earn their way into the, the fourth, uh, one of the four spots, and you're at home or playing in a bowl game, that doesn't really matter because you got screwed on a tiebreaker. Nobody wants that. No one deserves that. So expanding to 12 only helps to give teams that are deserving a chance to win a championship. That's all we're talking about here, a chance. You lose in the first round, so be it. Just give them a chance. And now when you have these conferences loaded in the Big Ten and the SEC, you're not going to have that chance just because of the sheer volume of teams to truly prove your worth each and every year based on how your schedule does shake out. So 12 teams is needed because it does prevent or does eliminate the chance of your season ending on just the uh, the chance of a tiebreaker. That's reason number one. But reason number two is expansion also helps massively with parity. I don't know about you, but I hate seeing the same teams competing for a championship each and every year. I don't think it's good that any given year we're talking about four, five, six teams that could win a national title, and most of the time it's the same teams. How is that good for college football? It's not. Unless you're a fan of one of those fan bases, unless you're a Georgia fan, Alabama fan, Ohio State fan, you're not happy about that. Nor should you be. So going to 12 helps to promote parity in the sense that now, not only do you can you sell your, you know, your school as being a legitimate playoff contender that's not one of the th- uh, three schools I just listed each and every year, but also if you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC, you could still sell recruits on winning a national title. Because you look, again, at these two mega conferences, right, starting next year, in 2024, you have in the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Oregon, and Washington. In the SEC, you have Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma. Those teams are every year always on the short list of teams that can make a run to the college football playoff. And if you say it four teams, I bet you more than not, those, was it 12 teams I just listed? Most years than not, four of those 12 teams are in the college football playoff. Strength of schedule is going to help them out. You're going to get two Big Ten teams in it every year, and I think you're going to get two SEC teams in every single year, bare minimum. So you expand to 12, you allow Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame, schools in the Big 12 to also be competitive as well and still allow 
your school to sell to recruits. Hey, you can come here and you can make the college role playoff and we can compete for a national title. We don't have to be only in the Big Ten or only in the SEC for this to be a reality. Because that's where, you know, these, we'll call it conference uh, consolidation, where that is scary is you're now starting to see the best teams in the country in only two conferences. That is not good for college football. Having the best of the best be either in the Big Ten or the SEC and really nowhere else, I don't see how that is beneficial for the sport overall. Look at this year's coaches poll. I know, right, realignment and the expansion is not happening for a year, a year from now. But just look at this year's coaches poll. The top seven teams in the 2023 coaches poll are all teams either from the Big Ten or the SEC soon to be. That's it. In the expanded Big Ten and the expanded SEC, the top seven teams in this year's coaches poll right now are teams that are going to be, if not already, in one of those two conferences by next year. So again, I don't think it's a good thing that now college football could possibly be on its way to just being a a two-super conference league. I think having talent spread out, I think having talent spread out across the country, I think having... 20, 25, 30 teams on a given year going into the season expecting, believing they can make a college football playoff appearance is a good thing, is a healthy thing, is a necessary thing. So I think predictability, predictability I think is right now one of the biggest enemies for college football. If we go in each and every year knowing who the top four teams are going to be, knowing that, okay, you know what, three out of four teams, bare minimum, they'll be in the college football playoff. Now we'll just see who the fourth is, and really the fourth has no chance to beat any of the other three, so who really cares? Why bother watching the regular season? Nobody wants that. That's kind of what the NBA has become. The NBA in the regular season is so predictable that not a lot of people watch it, get jacked up by it. The juice is in the playoffs. For college football, the juice is in the regular season. And then going to an expanded 12-team format helps to keep that juice in the regular season because it makes the regular season important again. It makes it matter again. You look at Georgia's schedule this year, who are they losing to? They're not losing once, let alone twice uh, to miss the college football playoff. Georgia in the regular season is basically irrelevant. They are basically irrelevant. That, to me, is not good for the health of the sport and not a good thing forward here. So even though, yes, we are seeing all this movement in college football, Oregon and Washington joining USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. You know, Texas, Oklahoma getting set to go to the SEC. Having all these premier big-time powers in two conferences, I don't think is a good thing. But the one thing that I think that absolutely cannot change now going forward is the number of teams in the expanded college football playoff. Greg Sankey mentioned it, and we'll, we'll play you what he said coming back here from the break in a little bit. But he definitely brought it up of now that the Pac-12 is eliminated, and we basically talked about how the college football playoff expansion is going to give automatic qualifiers to each of the Power 5 schools, uh, each of the Power 5 conferences, I should say, and now with one Power 5 conference all but dead in the Pac-12, reformatting needs to change. And yes, a, a visit to the table is inevitable. It's going to happen. There will be some sort of adjustment to the college football playoff expansion before it comes to fruition this time next year. But can absolutely not change. Non-negotiable, not a discussion, can't even bring it up. Is the number of teams 
making the playoff next year. 12 has to be the number. 12 has to be the number because it still promotes parity. And still, in these loaded conferences, especially in the Big Ten and the SEC, still allows deserving teams to make the college football playoff and not have their season end on a tiebreaker, on a technicality when it comes to, you know, sorting out the Big Ten and the SEC standings now that these two conferences have some of the best schools in all the country. So off to your thoughts on this. Again, it's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. Can't call. We're on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three right there on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call. I'm so calling it Twitter. Unfortunately, I updated my phone the other day. And with that updated Twitter, so I lost now the blue, blue little birdie. That logo changed to the disgusting black X. Oh, awful. I'm still, I'm still not used to getting the notifications on my phone, uh, seeing the, the blue, or I should say the black banner from X. It takes a lot getting used to, but so that's my problem, losing out on the blue bird. But we're still there. We're still using the app, again, at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. So you hear my stance. I'm clear. I'm all in on 12 teams, and even with all this movement, even with the Pac-12 dying, you cannot change the number of teams making the college football playoff. If you disagree, if you think the college football playoff needs to shrink, especially now with all this movement, please tell me why. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. I'd love to hear this this side of the argument because I don't think there really is one. But we're here. We're listening. We're open. 855-212-4227. All right. When we do come back, we'll play you what Greg Sankey said. Arguably the most powerful commissioner in college sports, it was on Paul Feinbaum's show. He did talk about college football playoff expansion, kind of going back and revisiting that format. Does he agree that 12 teams should stay, or is he willing to shrink it down? Well, you can hear for yourself when we do return again. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. Zach Gelb Show, Ryan Hickey filling in for ZG on this Thursday. Nick Fiodoro is filling in for me producing today, and Nick is subliminally basically trying to call me Freddie Mercury. Sing it, Freddie. For those who are unaware, I have decided the last week to grow out a mustache. I have black hair, black mustache, and some will say I have resembled a Freddie Mercury look, which I honestly think of all the, the comparisons you can make to someone with a mustache, I will take. You know, I'd rather have that than be called a, a pedophile or Borat. There's a lot of different names and nicknames you could use. Not not a lot of them very nice, by the way, to uh, say how someone looks when they're rocking a mustache. So I will take, for, first of all, Freddie Mercury, Nick. So that's honestly one of the nicer things anyone's ever said. Second of all, I can't sing like Freddie. So I'll leave, I'll leave the singing to him. I'll just try to look like him. But now I will say I'm in a tough stage here. So I was on a bachelor party last week. And I thought for the hell of it, let's just wear a mustache. What the hell? Let's have a little fun. You know, just kind of guys round around each other. And so now we're going on almost a week of the beard trying to grow back. And I'm definitely letting the beard grow back. It's not growing back as fast as I would like. So I I can't ditch the mustache. I already have it at this point. But I'm in an in-between stage where I definitely do look like Borat because, like, the, the peach fuzz is starting to grow in very... Very slowly. So it looks very unkept. looks very sloppy. 
I'm in a really tough in-between stage here, and this this could get a lot uglier before it gets better. You get a lot uglier. So thank this is radio. So you don't have to see my face on, unless you're Nick, which sorry, Nick. Better for uh, better for I guess me and better for the audience than no one else is seeing, unfortunately, what I get to see every single day. Which, by the way, um, I am still here from the, the crossover of Maggie and Perloff as I wait for my Uber. Yes, this is Zach Gelb on the Zach Gelb Show. Just real quickly, Ryan, you say that you're not going to be seen as you are recording yourself with a video, uh, with a camera in front of you, your opening monologue to show everyone that mustache. Let me just tell everyone. Well, the folks on YouTube, shameless plug, you brought it up, Ryan Hickey on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, that's That's true. Thankfully, I don't get a lot of views on YouTube, so I'm sparing, like, the five viewers I get. So they'll see it. So I guess me, Nick, Zach, the five viewers on YouTube, my girlfriend, see the mustache. Everyone else is spared. How are your uh, TikTok views with your uh, I've not done hot with the mustache take and yet. cold take shower? Um, I've not done a TikTok yet with my mustache. What are you waiting for? I don't think that I – social media is not very kind. I do not think that the comments would be very nice, especially since they're all, like, 15-year-old kids. They're going to be, I think, very mean to me. And I, I'm not someone who takes criticism well, so I'm just going to, instead of putting him in a locker, I'm just going to go cry in the corner. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the talk until at least I can get somewhat of a beard back and look somewhat less no cojones. less creepy. Well, what can I say? You know, the, the cool kids, they, they, they got me intimidated. They got I actually me intimidated. like being on the other side of the glass here. I think this is fun. Okay. Uh, there we go. We, we are seeing the roles reversed here. How does it feel to be a producer? Feels great. We got a guest coming up in about 30 minutes. Just wait till you get your first paycheck, though. Not as good. Well, that's true. I didn't make that change, guys. Let's be real. Here. That is true. That is true. So we are really, we are really doing the the Freaky Friday reversal here. I'm in for Zach. Zach is pseudo in for me. Leaving for in five minutes. Another five minutes. So you were getting the, the five minute version of a producer life. Welcome. Hope real Nick quickly, here's well. what you should do. Since you have the mustache, you should play into this. You should call up Mark Jackson and see if you could do the color analyst role here. As Mark Jackson got offered a million dollars to. Do uh, porn play-by-play yeah, with that mustache. I think he would fit in to be the perfect color analyst guy. I think actually roles would be reversed. I think I should do play-by-play. He should be the color, the color analyst. No, he got offered to do play-by-play. Saying, so you're just, I would just take over the I, role. I can't hear you because I don't have my headphones in, so I don't know what you're saying. But <laughs> you, you're literally – you would be grabbing onto his pockets here at work. All I'm going to say is I think I'll be better with the play-by-play. I'll set him up, and then he can kind of slam dunk the uh, the one-liners – he just you're pretty witty, and I think he would have a good mind for some good one-liners in that in that area of film. We'll say if you are doing play-by-play, high-pitched voice, play-by-play with porn. I, I don't know if that really works. Really, I would I, one way to find out. I can be bought. I definitely can be bought. That is for sure. If the contract is right, and look, they're offering Mark Jackson a million dollars. Got plenty of money to go around. Plenty of money to go around. That's all I'll say. So you're leaving the show to go do pornographic play-by-play. Well, there's no, there's no offer yet, so you know I can't leave for something that's not there. But I'm just saying, my my agent, aka me, is listening. I'll pick up the phone. I'll pick up the phone. I just think like you need any, to cut the stash if you want that. Any smart, uh, smart person would do. If the money, hey, everyone's got a price. Everyone has got a price. That's for sure. All, All right, right, you have a great show. I'm going to leave now. So Zach is exit in the building. We will uh, move off the ugly mustache talk here. We will get back on the rails to talk a little bit of college football playoff uh, expansion, right? With realignment happening, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA ditching the Pac-12, going over to the Big Ten. You got Texas Texas and uh, Oklahoma, excuse me, going to the SEC. We're having two mega conferences form right in front of our eyes. So the college football playoff, now that that's happening next year, the expansion, 
Should we revisit that? Is it chance it should be? Or should it be, I should say, you know, knocked down from 12 teams and made even smaller? SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey's on Paul, the Paul Feinbaum Show asked this direct exact question. Here's the answer from the SEC Commissioner on if college football playoff expansion in terms of the number of teams, 12, should shrink. The access we've created uh, through the 12-team format uh, still seems wise, but maybe there are elements and specifics of what was decided uh, when we had clarity around 10 conferences that, that might need to be adjusted given what's happening right now. He's 100% right. When it comes to access, when it comes to the number of teams playing for and competing for a national title, 12 is the number. Because honestly, it doesn't really matter what conference you're in, right? Big 10, SEC, Pac-12, like your path to making the college football playoff is still really difficult. It's still really hard. And I don't think having four teams, honestly, is is good for really the sport of college football. I do think expanding it to 12 Again, helps promote parity and helps kind of spread talent out. So now schools are not just the same four or five schools stockpiling all the talent um, that we've seen. But also, too, now that these conferences are stockpiling these blue chip uh, schools and teams, you need 12 teams more than ever right now. And I think Greg Sankey realizes that. But just take his conference, the SEC, where, as we know, every single year, Georgia, is a national title and college football playoff contender each and every year. Alabama, LSU. Now, all of a sudden, you're having Texas, who has a lot of talent, can never figure it out on the field, but always has a ton of talent on their team. Talent-wise, they have enough to be a college football playoff contender. They just haven't been able to put it over the hump on the field. And Oklahoma, who's had a lot of success, a lot of success previously, and I do think they are in for a nice bounce-back year um, this season, that's a gauntlet of a schedule and a gauntlet of a league just to be able to get, you know, two teams in. And again, because these conferences are so big, 16 teams in the SEC, 18 teams in the Big Ten. Pure math tells you you are not playing everybody. So there's going to be plenty of years where Georgia isn't going to play Alabama, LSU, and Oklahoma. Just the way the schedule is going to work out, they're going to miss those three teams. And so Georgia can have a great season. Alabama can have a great season. Oklahoma can have a great season. And you know what's going to happen? Two teams are going to make the SEC title game. The third one's going to be left hanging saying, what am I going to do now? And in a four-team college football playoff, that third team that's left home isn't getting in. Their record says they should be in. Their resume says they probably should be in. But when you have such a top-heavy top-heavy conference stacked with talent and loaded teams, it makes cracking that top four almost impossible. And good luck, by the way, trying to make the top four if you're not in the Big Ten or SEC. Look at the ACC. Good luck to Clemson with their strength of schedule trying to make the college football playoff every single year when you're not going to play a similarly tough schedule as anyone in the SEC or Big Ten. So you're not going to be able to impress with any big-time wins, especially if Florida State kind of drops off because they've been always really underachieving. Miami's not been able to get it figured out. So the ACC, in terms of actual on-the-field product, in terms of cultural playoff contenders, has not been a threat. So I don't know how anyone in the ACC is going to make a deep run just because they want the schedule to do so. Pac-12 is dead. Big 12 kind of the same way. 
I mean, they got a lot of schools. But don't we have a really enough of that strength of schedule now that's going to compete with those other two conferences that's going to make it, you know, make them be able to get in each and every year. So 12 is necessary. To me, it's not even a discussion. Again, you want to talk about the format? Who gets in? Who automatically qualifies? Who gets a bye? Who gets a home game? All for that. That's, that's all fine and dandy. Talk about that. Readjust the format for, for the playoff. No problem. Now that conferences are shifting and one, unfortunately, has been totally wiped out in the Pac-12. Fine, fair, well. But one thing that's non-negotiable, one thing that absolutely, in my opinion, cannot happen is the shrinking of teams. Is going from 12 to anything less than 12. 12 is needed now more than ever. And I think shrinking that, if they do go visit, revisit the college role playoff format, would be a massive, massive mistake. Are you in agreement? 855-212-4227. Or you disagree. You think 12 is a mistake and it should be a lot smaller. If so, explain to me why you think 12 or, or less than 12, I should say, is the right move for college football. 855-212-4227 at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three on Twitter. When we return, Phil Mickelson. A lot of details about his uh, off-the-course exploits in the gambling uh, field were at least reported on. I got a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. We'll get into those when we do return. It is Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Zach Gelb Show. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio on this Thursday. Top of the hour, 20 minutes from now by Aaron Rodgers by far, has the most pressure on him of any quarterback in the NFL. And the answer, we saw it right in Hard Knocks two nights ago. 20 minutes from now, top of the hour. We will discuss that. But boy, oh boy, a bombshell from golf was dropped today. And it you know, has to do with Phil Mickelson and his off-the-course gambling habits. And some of these numbers are truly, truly staggering. So Billy Walters is coming out with a book called Gambler. And in this book, it is a tell-all, basically. And it does dive into a lot of his relationship uh, and his friendship with Phil Mickelson and talked a lot about a lot of the betting that they would do. At least according to, again, Billy Walters, he is claiming that Phil Mickelson, over 30 years, has gambled a combined $1 billion. That's right. Think about that. He has bet $1 billion worth of money on sports over a 30-year time period. That is $33 million a year for 30 years. Bet by Phil Mickelson on all different sports. Baseball, basketball, football, college, pros, anything that had some sort of line. He was betting, and he was betting big. And again, according to Billy Walters in his new memoir, Gambler, he claims that Phil, over that 30-year time period, lost $100 million, and made a one and on one day, I believe it was 2011, made 43 total bets on Major League Baseball. And here's the bombshell: claims that Phil, back in 2012 at the Ryder Cup, 
try to bet $400,000 that the U.S. would beat the Europeans in that year's Ryder Cup. Now, Phil, to his credit, and we'll play both sides here, did put out a statement on Twitter just about 40 minutes ago. I'll read it to you. In response to this last allegation that he bet almost a half a million dollars on the Ryder Cup, according to Phil from his personal Twitter account, he said, quote, I have I never bet on the Ryder Cup. While it is well known that I always enjoy a friendly wager on the course, I would never undermine the integrity of the game. I have also been very open about my gambling addiction. I have previously conveyed my remorse, took responsibility, have gotten help, have been fully committed to therapy that has re- that has positively impacted me, excuse me, and I feel good about where I am now, end quote. So obviously, I mean, I feel like I'm telling you he has a problem to let him know when you're gambling a billion dollars, you have a problem. Clearly. So it's obviously good that Phil is trying to get help for that and is on the right path according to him. But I really hope Phil is telling the truth here. I really do. I really hope Phil did not bet almost a half a million dollars on the Ryder Cup. I hope that this was the only time he ever thought about gambling on an event he was in. Because, again, we so, we've seen a lot in football, right? We've seen a ton in the NFL and now even in college sports. Iowa, Iowa State having a lot of uh, a lot of scandals with athletes betting on games. Um, the, the Sports are indestructible, right? Sports seemingly are indestructible in the sense that players come and go, teams come and go, teams move, dynasties end, coaches change, owners change. The one thing that doesn't change is our love for the game. We watch, we pay money to watch, we invest our time, our energy, our emotions into watching our favorite teams in whatever sport it is. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Not with all this new technology, not with not with anything in the world. The only thing I think that could truly ruin sports is if we have a shadow of a doubt that they that the outcomes are rigged. That what we're seeing is not actually what we're seeing. A team losing a game didn't lose because they were the worst team. But because someone on the other team had some money on it and they need to win, so they threw the game. They booted a ball. They let the running back, you know, score a touchdown. Whatever it is, you allow gambling in sports and you now have big-time controversies where athletes are betting on games and outcomes. I think that sport is ruined. Because now we watch, right, for the unpredictability. If all of a sudden now there's questions about the outcome, two things happen. One, I think we're watching less because now it's not genuine. I'm not watching any sport. College football is my favorite sport. If it becomes like the WWE where it's scripted and they try to make it real, but the outcomes are always known and and always, you know, it's not just, oh, wow, that guy was better today. It's, It's written and it's planned out. I'm not watching because then I know it's not real. It doesn't matter how good my team is. If it's not in the script, it's not going to go their way. That's not how sports ever work. That's not how it should work. And if it does, again, I'm out as a sports fan. I think a lot of you listening will be following me as well and leaving the door. When the outcomes now are in question, that's when I think viewership and fandom does uh, does wane. That's one reason. But the other reason why this is a major situation, not just for viewing, but also for betting, right? Betting is massive now, right? More and more states are legalizing it. More and more sports books are popping up. 
Mobile betting is huge. Leagues are, are now partnering with sports books left and right. It's very hard to talk sports or watch a game, watch anyone talk about sports without hearing some sort of gambling vernacular uh, being thrown in there as well. It's almost hand-in-hand. Sports, gambling, tied to the hip now together with how much they've integrated with each other. But here's what also will happen if now all of a sudden you find out Phil's actually fixing a lot of matches. Or now in other sports, you're seeing more and more players throwing games. People are betting less. I'm not a big gambler. I am not. But I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not gambling on a game that I know players are gambling on. Because why would I put money on an outcome that possibly could be rigged? I'm the loser then. I'm the loser. And so the less, or the, I should say the more doubt we have about an outcome being true or not, the less money we're going to put down to bet on it. And the less money we're going to put down to bet on it, guess what? Less money the sports books get, uh, sports books get, which means less money the league gets because now every single sports book has a partnership with every single league. And guess what? If less bets are coming in, those sports books are not putting, you know, putting sponsorship money out there to advertise the league where no one's betting on. So you see how this is a circle. You see why so many leagues freak out about players gambling. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the money. If we stop gambling, less money for the sports books. Less money for the sports books means less money for leagues. Less money for owners, less money for teams. That's how you get their attention. And that's why we've seen in the NFL, especially, them cracking down extremely hard. Yeah, they'll put DraftKings and FanDuel ads in between every single quarter in an NFL game, but as soon as Calvin Ridley makes a bet, boom, you're out for a year. You see why now, I hope. And I really, again, hope that Phil is telling the truth here that he did not gamble on the Ryder Cup because I think it only opens up a can of worms now and only really kind of sends now the sport of golf in a negative light going forward here. Uh, and questions will now you know, start to arise of were other matches or, or rounds or tournaments fixed? And I think this is one of those things where you really could get ugly very quickly. So I hope Phil is telling the truth. I'm glad he's getting help, but still, even with some of these numbers, it is mind-blowing. Again, I am not a big gambler, but losing $100 million, which, by the way, is honestly not that bad. Like, if you really think about it, Phil Mickelson bet over a 30-year span $1 billion. Allegedly. It's all allegedly. But allegedly on sports. Over 30 years. That means he basically made... $900 $900 million and lost 100 mil. It's pretty good. With how many people lose? People lose way more often than they win. So I get he's still losing. I get he's still operating at a loss. But when you're moving that kind of money and you're putting that m- much money down, to only, I mean, I say only, but losing $100 million, I don't think it is at the end of the day that, that bad. That bad whatsoever. But I, what I don't understand is how he has a stomach for it. I know he mentioned an addiction, so I, I get it's different. You know, different. I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive here, but also kind of keep a, hopefully a subject a little bit on the lighter side to not get too dark. It is, you know, sports radio after all. But how he has a stomach, I have no idea. I was just, before we were talking about it, I was just at a bachelor party. Scottsdale, Arizona. Shout out Scottsdale. A lot of fun. Great city. And I'll say this really fast. The heat, 
Even though it was record heat, truly not that bad. A dry heat. I'd never really been out in the desert before. In the summertime, at least, we went to the desert for the Super Bowl. That's back in February, so it's a little different. Um, but the dry heat definitely hits different compared to, does, uh, compared to here in New York City, at least, where it feels like a frying pan and the humidity is so high that it just almost presses down on you. It's suffocating. Out there, it's a lot different. Anyway, nonetheless, we went to the casino, right? You know, doing what guys do, going to bet, going to gamble. And even at the roulette table, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, oh, 20 bucks. Boy, I'm sweating. I hope I hit this. Hope, come on, black. Let's go black. One of our friends put $200 down on black. I'm like, holy cow. I, I mean, I'm having a heart attack. I'm sweating. For him, it's not even my money. It's his money. So th- to have the stomach, I couldn't even stomach like a $200 bet, let alone to stomach for Phil over 30 years, a billion dollars worth of money being placed on various sporting events all throughout a 30-year period is insane. Truly, truly insane. Are you a gambler at all, Nick? No, not at all. But think, how much has he made in his career, Mickelson, you think? I saw one tweet. So I don't, I, I'll say a number, but I also have to double-check and verify. I saw it was like $96 million. Wow, that that's insane That to Just gamble that much. Just on the winnings. Obviously, sponsorships otherwise are massive, but on the course winnings, $96 million. I wonder, like, how much he actually has now, like, net worth. Like, you can't really believe what you see online, but gambling that amount of money, like, not to say that he's hurting, but probably doesn't have as much as he should have. Well, I think it also goes to lend the fact of why he went to Live Golf, right? $200 million from Live Golf. If you're in a hole, uh, either with this debt or something else, $200 million can can make a lot of those problems go away. That That's it can. Sure. But then, the it could all, but then it could also create a lot of problems if you have a problem. That is very true. What's the biggest you ever uh, put down for a bet? One bet. Individual bet. I've never done like an official bet, but I've gambled. Not gambled, but I've, you know, like just made bets with friends or whatever. Okay. Like, you know, 20 bucks and it says, you know, this isn't going to happen or whatever. But I've never used like an app or actually gambled. So. You ever go to the casino? You look like a casino guy. I feel like you could be um, trying to see. Nick has like a nice thick beard. I would say you to me look like you would do well in the blackjack table. Uh, maybe like beginner's luck, but you got I, glasses. I yeah, maybe beginner's luck. Count some cards. Yeah, yeah. Right now I have the image of uh, Zach Galifianakis in uh, from the Hangover. In the hangover I can easily see you doing that, <laughs> sitting there, not saying a word to anyone, going alone, getting like a a scotch, just putting it next to you, and just sitting there and just dialed in on the dealer. I could absolutely see that. Let's try it. I'll go with you. So you're saying that does that visual I have is not reality. It's not reality, but I'll give it a shot. I'm not going to put a lot of money down because I clearly don't make a lot of money working here, but, you know, I'll give it a shot. The biggest bet I've ever made in one on one event, $50. I'm a loser. I admit it. But you know what my problem is? I'm a sore loser. Like, even like we went to the casino, I get more mad at losing than I do than I get joy from winning. And so that's why I don't gamble a lot. It's just because I don't know how Phil keeps doing it. Like, the losses, you hear athletes talk about all the time, and I feel like it's very true. The losses always hurt more than the wins. Yeah, but I don't think it really hurts him that much because he has so much money. But at the same time, like, still, that's still. A, eventually it's going to catch up to you. Oh, that just I get, it gets me too frustrated. But that is some crazy numbers, some crazy numbers to say the least. All right, when we do return, everyone, I'm sure, saw hard knocks at some point from the other day. Aaron Rodgers, I think, has the most pressure on him of any quarterback in the NFL. I think Hard Knocks showed exactly why. We'll discuss why when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Elb right here on CBS Sports Radio.